X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Wednesday, April 21st. Today, back in the day on April 21st, 753, Romulus founded the ancient city of Rome. The myth goes like this. Romulus and Remus were two twin sons of the Roman god of war Mars and a human woman. Abandoned at birth by the river Tiber, they were adopted and raised by a wolf mother and later a shepherd. As the sons of a god and an heir to a great line of kings, the two were destined to build a city of their own. However, when they reached the seven hills where they would build their city, they disagreed about which hill should be the city's center. The dispute turned violent, and Romulus killed his brother Remus. He then went on to be the city's first king and found its government, military, and religious traditions. The ancient Romans were certain of the day their city was founded. Ancient historians, astronomers, and antiquarians agreed about the day the city was founded, but they disagreed on the year. But our best guess is that history's most famous empire was founded today, back in the day, on April 21st. 753. Today, back in the day on April 21st, 1926, Ginger Rogers danced at Hunt's Criterion in Medford. The future Academy Award-winning triple threat was just 14 at the time. She had recently won the Texas Charleston Championship and was on a tour of the Western United States. Hunt's Criterion was also in its early years. However, it would become an iconic and state-of-the-art theater here in Oregon. In the 40s, Ginger Rogers' mother bought a house on the Rogue River, and Ginger spent much of her time off there. She once said, quote, I consider myself an Oregonian. I vote in Oregon, and I pay my taxes here. Almost 70 years later, in 1993, Ginger Rogers once again danced on stage at the Criterion Theater as part of a benefit to renovate the historical landmark. On today's episode, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Leona Thomas, founder of the Relief Health Dispensary. X-ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. Portland Police Bureau has released audio from Friday's shooting of Robert Delgado in Lentz Park. They also released a photo of the fake gun Delgado allegedly had with him that prompted the initial 911 call. According to the pictures, the tip of the replica gun was painted orange. It's not clear if in the audio if police saw the gun when he was shot. Bystander video of the shooting also does not show whether or not he was brandishing the weapon. The timeline of the event takes less than 14 minutes from the initial call to the shooting. The first call came at 9.26 a.m. The officers arrived on the scene at 9.36. Officers were calling for medical because of shots fired at 9.40, and medical personnel took over at 9.53. According to the audio, the officers reported Delgado was not complying. At first, the officers say, quote, He's not wearing a shirt now, just black pants. I think his hands are empty right now. We're going to pull him into the parking lot and address him at a distance. A minute later, they say, quote, He's not compliant. He's flipping us off. Transients in the parking lot are saying he has a gun. 30 seconds later, quote, He's very non-compliant. I think the gun's in his back pocket. A minute later, at approximately 940, 
The officer asks dispatch to send medical with the addendum, shots fired, suspect down. Zachary DeLong, the officer who fired the shot, is on administrative leave pending an investigation. He was a farmer, army officer, and sniper. Robert Delgado had a history of mental health issues, according to friends. The investigation now heads to a closed-door grand jury proceeding. And now your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 580 new coronavirus cases yesterday. That brings the total number of cases in the state to 176,172. There was one new death. The death toll is now up to 2,461. As of Tuesday, 37% of Oregonians have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. Nearly 24% of Oregonians are fully vaccinated. As a reminder, all Oregonians above the age of 16 are now eligible for a COVID vaccine. Governor Kate Brown made the announcement earlier this week. The timeline has moved up from the initial projected date of May 1st. This announcement comes as the state has seen a 94% increase in positive cases over the last month. Governor Brown also said she wanted to focus vaccine distribution on Oregon's people of color who have been disproportionately affected by the disease. She closed her statement talking about collaborating with the federal government, saying, quote, My office will work closely with the White House to ensure Oregon receives our fair share of federal vaccine supplies so we can continue with a fast, fair, and equitable vaccine distribution process. The Oregon House of Representatives canceled its floor session yesterday due to COVID concerns. At least one person who worked in the chamber tested positive for COVID-19 recently. House Speaker Tina Kotek made the announcement from the dais on the House floor. She did not specify if the person was a staff member or lawmaker. She did, however, state that the House will reconvene on Monday, April 26th. There were 10 police reform and accountability bills slated to go to vote during this session, along with several others. Lawmakers were hoping to meet twice today in order to tackle the large load of bills on their slate due to Republican delay tactics. Last week, Democrats and Republicans reached a compromise. Republicans agreed to stop stalling if Democrats gave them more say in the redrawing of state political lines over the next 10 years. This is the third time a session has been called off due to COVID. The previous two were in March. A measure extending the time of notice for homeless camps sweeps has been approved. House Bill 3124 will extend the notice time to 72 hours before the sweep takes place. The current statewide requirement is 24 hours. The city of Portland gives 48. The warning must be posted at the entrance and exit of any encampment. The bill will also require any personal items confiscated during the sweep to be stored for 90 days in the same community where the person was living. It also must be clear exactly where the belongings are being stored. 72-hour notice would not be required if there is a public health or safety emergency. The bill now heads to the state Senate for approval. A series of strange cattle deaths has cropped up again in central Oregon. Over the past three months, seven cattle have been found mutilated in Crook County. Over the past couple of years, mutilated cattle 
have also been found in Wasco, Umatilla, Harney, Wheeler, and Lake counties. The animals are found without a drop of blood in them and with body parts missing, including their tongues and sexual organs. The cuts and incisions are very precise, and there's little to no evidence found in the area. No footprints, no signs of struggle, no tools, no bite marks, no puncture wounds, nothing. The sheriff's offices in all these counties are sharing information in hopes of coordinating the investigation. If you have any information pertaining to these recent mutilations, please call the Crook County Sheriff's Office at 541-447-6398. And finally, some good news. The Rose Festival Treasure Hunt is going to have spring training. Every year since 2014, the Rose Festival Treasure Hunt gives participants some really tough clues to solve over the course of two weeks to win the prize. Drives them nuts. The clues are generally about local geography and history. This year, there's going to be four spring training puzzle sessions in the lead-up to the main event. Each of the training sessions will take place over five days and focus on one of the four counties of the Portland metro area. That's Multnomah County this week, Clackamas on April 27th, Washington on May 4th, and Clark on May 11th. It's all leading up to the big hunt on May 30th. This year's prizes haven't been announced yet, but in the past, the winners have gotten a medallion encased in Lucite, a free night at Spirit Mountain Casino, and cash. So check out the Rose Festival website for more information and the clues. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Now we'll hear host Kira Lindenberg's interview with Leona Thomas, founder of the Relief Health Dispensary. They had this interview on the morning of April 20th and discussed the meaning of 420 and Portland's Black community, diversity and representation in the cannabis industry, and what reparations would look like in the context of cannabis criminalization. Today is 420, and while that's plenty of cause to celebrate, we also wanted to get some perspective from inside the world of weed. So joining us now from Relief to chat about the industry is Leona Thomas. Good morning, Leona. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting there. How are you? I hear you. I hear you. I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you for being here. Um, so I know it's early, but how are you planning to celebrate 420? You know, it's a bittersweet time in our community, in the Black community. So we are, we are very grateful to be in our location at 3213 Northeast MLK Boulevard for two years now. Nice. So we do have some in-store specials. Um, I hope people stop by. We're offering 20% off all of our products, $10 or more. We have some swag bags. We have shirts. So we're just doing a low-key celebration, obviously keeping in line with our COVID-19 precautions and protocols. But you know, we're grateful to still be thriving in this industry. Yeah, hopefully next year we can, I don't know, all blow our smoke into each other's faces. I know, faces. And really do it up. <laughs> this, this year we'll, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll happily take some some uh, uh, cannabis deals and, and T-shirts. Yeah, you know, and, and there's tons of other swag too. So people should definitely tune in. We'll be going live on IG later and just doing the virtual aspect of everything just to keep everyone safe. Nice. And if people want to stop by here on MLK and what's the cross street? Um, MLK, it's on Northeast MLK, right across the street from the Popeyes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Up by Ainsworth. Um, yeah. Perfect. Sorry, I'm, having a, 
I have consumed already today. I'm not ashamed to admit it. (laughs) (laughs) No judgment here. Um, (laughs) Well, since you brought up the pandemic, I want to ask, how have or have you seen that the cannabis industry has been impacted or more importantly, how they adapted during the pandemic? Well, for us, as many people know, it was uh, liquor stores and cannabis shops that were able to remain open. We were deemed as essential business. So as difficult as it was for many people across the world, for us, it was it was bittersweet because we were able to remain open. There were some shortages in some areas because obviously we didn't understand that we were about to go into a full pandemic. Right. But we were able to still provide medicine to the people who needed it. So I mean, for us, it definitely grew the business. I think the industry as a whole profited majorly during the pandemic. Well, that's am- that's amazing. I mean, it's great to hear that there are some industries doing even better because of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're allowed to stay open, and I think the thing that people need to understand is that this isn't... Um, this isn't the weed that the government tried to make us believe, right? This is medicine. Right. And during a pandemic and during everything that's happening in the world, people need their medicine. So the fact that we were allowed to remain open and get people the medicine that they need was just a blessing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just on a personal level, um, you know, I, I did okay with the first six months of the pandemic. And after that, uh, I, I personally have seen a real tank in my mental health. I think not seeing people, yeah. not being able to hug people, um, you know, not knowing when this pandemic is ever going to be over. We were talking about earlier, you know, we're, we're all getting vaccinated and that's great, but uh, we don't know about these variants. We don't know, you know, when things, when cases are going to spike again. We don't know when we're going to be able to travel. So, you know, exactly. <laughs> knowing that we have access. A, I'm not sure if you're a mother, but as a mom, you add in, you know, a lot of schools have opened back up, but many of us are still virtual learning. Right. <laughs> and, right. You know, as much as I adore motherhood, being with my kids, 380 some odd, 4 million days at this point <laughs> is a lot. Right. So that's another <laughs> aspect of our business is just destigmatizing cannabis use among moms. It's completely normal, acceptable, and you should be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And if it helps you get through the day, <laughs> if it helps you, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a 180 to see how, I mean, there are, I'm sure there are people who smoke cannabis and are inattentive, but there are other people who's, I've, I've watched, I have some friends that just had a baby four months ago, and I don't know how they would not be at each other's throats if it wasn't for cannabis. It, it helps them be better parents. Absolutely. And it's not just about coping, right? So it's just about living. We should be able to enjoy the things that we enjoy and the things that make us happy. And that's really what being a good mom is all about. Are you being fulfilled? Are you, do you feel fulfilled? Yeah. And so you need to incorporate things that allow you to feel that way. For some people, it's drinking wine, right? right? right. Happy hour is completely normal. And that's totally fine. But cannabis is the same thing. There's nothing different about it except well, I won't go into that, but <laughs> no, <they laughs> one day you and I can sit down and, and yeah, well, I would, I would like to hear about that, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really interesting actually to think about cannabis as being, um, not an extracurricular and not, uh, 
necessarily a dependency either, right? Right. Yeah. As as just just being part of our, just like we put on clothes every day. It's no different. It's Mm -hmm, no different. mm -hmm. And to think of it as being part of, you know, your, your self care, especially if you are a mother or have children that have been in the house every single day for a year. Um, yeah, yeah, to think of it as, as part of a... Yeah, we're big advocates of consuming responsibly, right? Like, with anything that you do, you just have to be responsible. You have to know your limits, your dosing, all of those good things. But it's, it's something I highly encourage. <laughs> yeah, if, if people come into your shop, if they come into Relief, um, is that something that your your bud tenders can talk to them about? Is uh... Absolutely. Listen, my team is amazing, and... Um, you can go out on Google and look at our reviews, every single bud tender from our store manager, Louie, to every single bud tender that we have, Millie, Sammy, and Luke. They are all amazing, very well-versed on the different effects. So we focus on the effects. What are you looking to achieve with your medicine? Um, they can provide you with a range of products depending on the methods in which you like to consume. Listen, we are a one-stop shop. I don't say that lightly. We have a wide variety of products and the knowledge is bar none. Yeah. I also love that you know all your bud tenders by name. That that makes me yeah. feel like your your shop is really a community, which we're big about here at X-Ray. Yeah, we're a family. I, love I mean, that. anything goes down they can call us day or night. Um, we're always text. We're always in communication. It's a family environment. I think everyone who comes into the store, and I hope that you stop by real soon. Um, they, it's a good vibe, and that's what it's all about. You, yeah. We wanted to stay away from the, the stuffy, um, feeling like you're in some sort of text store per se, and we wanted it to feel like home. And that's what you get. You get good music, good people, and great products. Love that. I love that. Um, Leona Thomas from Relief, who's, who we're speaking with currently, can you tell us more about your Relief Assist program? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So, you know, we were planning on doing a big 420 celebration and just with everything happening, the continued violence against Black people, um, it just didn't feel genuine to who we are. Um, obviously, I'm a Black woman. I am married to a beautiful Black man and I have three beautiful black daughters. And so we are impacted by this greatly. But what we found is that there's a need in our community. So as people are going out and protesting, there's bail and bond funds needed. People are experiencing housing issues, food shortages. And we wanted to make sure that the people in need were getting the financial support they need because a black square is cute and saying that you support Black issues is cute, but what people really need is financial support. They Mm. need to be able to continue to fight the good fight the best way that they can and to survive, right? And so we prioritize the requests that come in. And what we're looking for is donations. We want people to not just have a cute soundbite about being there for the Black community or understanding the plights that we go through, but we actually want you to put your dollars where your mouth is. And so... This is a mutual aid project that I, um, my husband, and a a few others that are community advocates and activists um, have put together, and we're just going to do the work and get, um, fulfill some needs, fulfill some needs in our community. I love that. I love that. That's really important work, and I appreciate that you've organized and put that together, and and that Relief Assist program is uh, an asset that people, you know, 
have at their disposal as opposed to, you know, I, f- I feel like every time there is need for bail, it's that money kind of comes together and then dissipates. And, and it's great that this is just an ongoing project. Um, yeah, I mean, because we are nothing without our community. So that's yeah, what it is. It's, us too. It's mutual. It is, they pour into us and we, we, it's, it's our responsibility to pour right back into our community. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, And you bring up an interesting point. I think that, you know, the the discrimination uh, and how black and brown communities have been disproportionately uh, targeted as far as cannabis related criminalization goes. I think that's at least among X-ray listeners is probably fairly understood at this point. Uh, But just because it is 420 and we can talk about it, uh, you know, I, I have seen data that that black and brown communities are very underrepresented when it comes to cannabis industry leadership. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that? And and have you noticed a change over time in the industry? Um, it's very accurate. We yeah. are <laughs> underrepresented, but the main reason why we're underrepresented, is not lack of ability or knowledge. It's lack of funding, right. it's lack of capital. right? And so a lot of people want to talk about um, this issue as though it's not something that can be fixed. But what it requires is for people to provide capital, right? Mm. It's, it's a topic that people want to stray away from. But let's be honest, you can't live in the house you live in without money. You can't eat what you want to eat. You can't work if you're not getting paid, right? And so the world goes on money. It goes around on money. And that is something that the Black community needs, which is why the conversation of reparations continues to circle back time and time again, because how do we play on a level playing field when we don't have the same resources, especially financially. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, you, you, you bring up a really good point, which is that it's, it's easy to talk about, um, let's say disproportionately high rates of, of, uh, people of color going to jail for cannabis, uh, possession. That's easy to talk about because, you know, I'm not a cop. I didn't put those people in jail. So it's easy to look at the community and say like, well, this needs to be fixed. But, uh, to look at the, the issue of, um, there isn't that generational wealth. There isn't, it's, it's a lot harder, especially if you have been, uh, arrested or, or put in jail for cannabis, uh, possession, which we already know is something that happens to people of color at a much higher rate, it's mm-hmm. extremely difficult to, if not impossible in some states, to start a cannabis business. Um, and right. good luck getting a loan <laughs> to start that cannabis but, business. So that's the point. That's the added layer to the conversation, right? So absolutely, these people should absolutely be released from prison. Please let me be clear on that. And their records should be expunged. My next question is, then what? Right. Right. Okay. Right. So now I have spent this time in prison. I shouldn't have been there. There's a whole industry making money off of something I was convicted of. What do I do? The answer to that is you need someone to provide you funding. You need financial assistance. You need capital. And that's the part of the conversation that seems to be consistently missing. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And and there are states that are going legal that, um, have sort of built into the the statutes or the policy this idea of reparation the fact that you know we, we need to address um racial discrimination in the cannabis industry um that is something mm-hmm. that portland portland is not doing a great job of it was something that they talked about when cannabis first went legal and um that is something that we need to hold our city to task about i think 
Um, Absolutely. I love to be a part of the conversation. So if you know of a room or a group, just throw my name in the hat. <laughs> Absolutely. There is there is an organization and I will, uh, we've got to take a break in just a moment, but I will look up the name of that organization because I can't think of it off the top of my head, but they are doing great work. Um getting more people of color to be part of the cannabis industry and helping them find those funds. Uh, Leona Thomas, tell us again where we can find your dispensary and where people can come and celebrate 420 with you. Sure. So just keep in mind, we are still under COVID-19 precautions so and protocols. So if there will be lines and things of that nature, but you can find us at 3213 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, or at www.release, and that's R-E-L-E-A-F, health.green. Love it. Thank you so much, Leona Thomas. Have a wonderful 420, and thank you for being here. Thank you, you too. X-Ray. Thanks to Leona for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and sharing news about us with friends. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.